0: I'm Adam Brewer, lead pastor of Glory Fellowship Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. We want to thank you for joining us today. As you listen to this podcast, our hope is that you are challenged and encouraged by God's Word. We know that God's Word gives life, and our hope is that you experience God's abundant life as you listen to that. Thank you, team. Thank you, church, for singing. And this morning, I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, and while you're standing in honor of the reading of God's Word, you know, even our ability to sing praise to Him is a gift from Him. It is His breath in our lungs that allows us to praise Him. And so in everything, we are dependent upon and grateful to uh, God and His gifts. Matthew chapter 5 this morning, verses 27 through 30, as we continue our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. I've entitled this series, Kingdom Living. What does it look like to live and to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven? What does Jesus call his citizens, what does he call their lives to look like? How is it that the kingdom affects our speech, our thinking, our motivation? And today we look at our purity. And so today we're going to be looking at Christian purity, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Anybody grateful that we have one another to worship with this morning and to be here? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning and ask the Lord to do what only He can do through His Word. Father, this is a weighty topic. Just as last week, in your divine orchestration, you brought together this series to preach on anger and hatred Last Sunday, with everything going on in our nation. And God, just as that was a word that we needed to hear and reflect on and act on. So, God, today, this is a message from your word that carries your authority, that demands us to hear it, to meditate on it, and then to respond accordingly. Father, we want to be citizens of your kingdom that while we're here on earth, allow your light to shine through us so that others who are living in darkness may see the light and run to it, run to Jesus. Father, I pray this morning, God, that uh, we'd be quick to hear. God, I, I pray this morning something that comes out of my time of devotion and reading this week in 1 Samuel 3, and I pray that what was said about Samuel may be true this morning that you did not allow one word that he spoke to fall to the ground. God, that's my prayer. Is that not one word that is spoken today from your word under your authority would fall to the ground, but that it would find a heart and a soul in which to grow and produce righteous fruit. Father, that it would transform that it would convict where necessary, where it would can encourage and heal where there is brokenness. And so, God, today as we look at these verses, your words, may we not be quick to turn our attention off and to turn our ears off, but may we be ready to encounter you through your word today. Amen. You can be seated. Today's sermon is Christian purity and you can see why based off of the text that we've read this morning Christian purity and Christian purity is something that I fear in many churches is not talked about at all. We don't like to talk about sexual topics, we don't like to talk about immorality Uh, We don't talk about purity as much as we ought. And when it is talked about and when it is preached, it's often done without a biblical balance and a a right understanding of what Jesus and what God are teaching us throughout the entirety of His Word. You don't have to look around very far. As I said last week, you didn't have to look around far to find somebody who is angry, to find somebody who is exhibiting some hatred. Likewise, with the text this morning, you don't have to look far to find someone who is struggling in the area of sexual purity, in the area of immorality, someone who is being broken and who, whether they know it or not, they are being destroyed uh, in this issue that we are going to look at today. Uh, Just yesterday, I read an article about a pastor who is also a seminary professor who committed suicide. And you hate to hear that; it just it just grieves you. I mean, there's so many pastors right now that we are finding committing suicide for one reason or another. So I read the article to determine maybe what led to this, and it just broke my heart. The more I read it, because the more I read throughout the article, it talked about this man had an accusation brought against him a few months ago uh, concerning uh, an immoral act, a sexually immoral immoral act uh, with somebody else, And, and, and so. Uh, he had been accused of this and, you know, whether he was guilty or not, we'll never know for sure, probably now that he has committed suicide. But based on the evidence that we have, uh, we, we see that he was being eaten up uh, on the inside. His mind was being eaten up. Satan was destroying him and it, it would not surprise me based upon uh, the research that's been done across uh Many many decades now, and across many many jobs, men and women. It would not surprise me to find that this man had immorality in this area in his life a long way back that just corroded him from the inside, and it was heartbreaking to read the story. I had somebody else communicate to me about a, a young lady who is struggling? You know, oftentimes when we talk about sexual purity, uh, immediately we go and we talk about the men and we address the men. It's not just a man issue. This is a men and a a man and a woman issue that this touches every fabric of our society the young the old men and women it it goes across all colors and all races this is an issue that we need to get a handle on and understand what God's word has to say to us about it and so we're going to look today at Christian purity and what the Bible teaches us and what Jesus is saying here about how his citizens ought to live Before we get into this text this morning, before we get into this text, I want to just share with you something that's on my heart and has been on my heart for quite some time. I don't know what you, as you grew up, if you grew up in church, if you grew up around Christianity, I don't know what you were taught or how often this subject was taught on. I know in in my upbringing, anytime you, you, you talked about sex, it was in a very negative light. And it was bashed and it was talked about. And you were just told, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I want you to know today, okay, God's word is very clear that sex is good. It is a gift from God and it is a beautiful thing. But kind of like a fish in water, a fish can enjoy water uh, and, and, and can live and thrive in water. The moment that a fish jumps out of the water... He begins to struggle and he begins to suffer. And ultimately, he is killed because he needs the water to breathe. And likewise, sex is a very good gift. It's like food. It's like money. These are good gifts from God. But when we step outside the boundaries that God has prescribed for us, it turns into an evil master. It moves from being something beautiful and good and wonderful to something that leads us down a path of destruction. And so I want you to hear me this morning to say, go read the the book of Song of Solomon. If you are married, go read Song of Solomon. You will see that God's word teaches that that sex is a good thing when it is practiced within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman who are up under the lordship of God. A lot of the counseling that I've done in in my years of meeting with folks and trying to help marriages and doing premarital counseling, uh, a lot of the counseling that I've done, here's what I have found. Here's what I am seeing. Because we as Christians and as pastors stand up and talk negative, 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 negative about sex, uh, when people are in marriage, it then becomes a problem for them because it's not just a light switch that you turn on and off as to whether you appreciate it and understand it and, and, and desire it or not. It's either good or bad. And so I want you to hear this morning before we deal with this text, sex is good and it's wonderful. It's wonderful when it's within the prescribed boundaries that God has given. What Jesus is talking about here is the kind of immorality that is practiced outside of the boundaries that God has given us. And just like in Jesus's day, so too in our day, we see that it is rampant. And I don't think you'd have to look far to see just how rampant this idea of lust and intent really are. And so let's walk through this text today so that the Lord can deal with us and we can respond appropriately to the text before us today. First thing I want you to see is that Jesus defines sexual sin, He defines it for us, and it is this even the heart motivation of looking with lustful intent. Looking with lustful intents. It is more than physical, it is a matter of the heart. You know, last week we talked about anger and hatred. And it wasn't just a question of, have you killed somebody physically? It was a question of, what's in your heart? How do you think about another person? How do you think about another race? How do you think about those that are older or younger than you? How do you think about somebody that's offended you or said something that came across as offensive? It was a matter of the heart. And so here too, Jesus is saying, when it comes to the area of uh, sexual purity, it is not just a matter of something. Have I committed physical adultery with somebody else? The question goes down to the hearts. Have I looked with lustful intent? During the days that Jesus was teaching, The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they had taught that there was a very narrow road of sexual immorality. And there was a very broad road of sexual purity. So almost everything was okay. Almost everything was accepted. And at least that's how the people interpreted it. And we see this going back to the Old Testament. When people have their way, they take God's word and they say, well, God says that this was immoral and that this kind of lifestyle is impure. But you know, everybody's doing it. And God's the one that gave us the desire for this. So everything's okay unless it's just totally perverted. And Jesus flips the script. And he says, very narrow is the way of sexual purity. And very broad is the way of sexual immorality. And he says, even if you are looking with lustful intent, you have committed adultery in your heart already. I'm going to read to you a quote. And this is concerning the days in which Jesus lived and the early church. And as I read this, I want you to see if you don't hear the echoes of the same type of living in our own day here in the 21st century. The moral life of the Greco-Roman world had sunk so low that while protests against the prevailing corruption were never entirely wanting, fornication had long come to be regarded as a matter of moral indifference. And, when, and it was indulged in without shame or scruple, not only by the masses, but by the philosophers and the men of distinction who in every other respect led exemplary lives. So what we see in the days of Jesus and in the days of the early church, the Greco-Roman world, is that though they may had other areas of their lives that were very moral and they fought for good and they fought for justice, in the area of sexual immorality, it was almost an everything goes and everything is okay. And Jesus flips that script and he says, no, adultery starts in the heart You know, earlier I mentioned that sex and food and money, they are good gifts given to us by God when they're used appropriately. You know, another of God's good gifts that is such a blessing when it's used appropriately is the imagination that you and I have. And when Jesus is talking here about lustful intent, he's talking about our imagination. I want you to think with me for just a minute about the blessing of imagination. I want you to think about how many creative and beautiful pieces of music that we get to listen to and sing because somebody's had a imagination that was very creative and blessed by the Lord. I want you to think about the beautiful pieces of art that we have in our world today. I want you to think about the magnificent buildings that you think how in the world is that standing? But because of the creative mind of somebody or a group of people, we have these phenomenal structures. The creative mind, the imagination, is a wonderful thing when it is put in a direction that it is supposed to go. But when the imagination begins to look and pursue things that God didn't intend us to look at or pursue and to think about, the imagination can turn very foul. And it becomes a rottenness that leads us to destruction in a number of ways. And so Jesus here is talking about the imagination, this this lustful intent and what goes through your mind, these thoughts when you see a certain individual or when you see images that cause us to in some ways, to in some ways treat others as less than human and definitely as less than image bearers of Almighty God. I'm reading a book right now. It's entitled The Care of Souls, The Care of Souls, and there are some things in the book that from a pastoral point of view that I disagree with, but there are some other things in there that are just very refreshing and uh, creative and just just wonderful, and he speaks to pastors, and he speaks to what's going on in our culture today, and I want you to just listen to this thought uh, that this author gives us concerning the area of sexual purity. He says this habitual pornography is the proverbial perfect storm of temptation. It is a toxic concoction for the old Adam that lives within us. It whips up together the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, and then it tops that off with a delectable delight of pride. It thrives in secret, it is fed and nourished on the passions of our private imagination. Therefore, we must get rid of them. We must spit it all out and bring this sin into the light where it can be exposed and repented of. Friends, I could give you statistic after statistic after statistic concerning the billion with a B dollar industry that pornography is today i could tell you story after story of how during this two to three month pandemic these illicit websites have exploded with volumes of people who are watching this garbage And he knows something about pornography this looking with lustful intent it not only quenches the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, it is destroying minds, it is destroying marriages, it is destroying families. And the church, for the most part, has been very silent about it. To our shame and our disgrace. This sexual revolution that is ongoing in our society today, there is going to be a massive fallout from this. Where people are going to be dealing with guilt and hurt and feelings of worthlessness. And they are going to be looking for help and healing. And if the church of Jesus Christ has nothing to offer them. Because we're engaging in the same tendencies. And giving ourselves over to the same temptations. And the lust and looking at the same things that they are that the world is looking at, we will have nothing to offer them when they hit rock bottom. We have to pave a better way forward. We have to come up under the control and the lordship of Jesus Christ in this area of our lives and say that there is a better way. And it is the pure way of Jesus. Before we move on, as we talk about the imagination, you know, this is kind of a two-way street the imagination. Paul, when writing about how the church ought to conduct itself, he speaks to women and he talks about modest dress. And I know when you, tell, when you bring up the topic of modest dress, everybody says, well, you better not approach that subject, you better not teach and preach on that. Why? It's in God's word. And therefore it is important. And it was put there for a reason. Jesus here speaks from the perspective of a man in Matthew 5. Because he talks about looking at a woman with lustful intent. But we know that both men and women struggle with looking with lustful intent, with sexual impurity. So when Paul is talking about the way that women dress, I think that that is also something that men ought to do some self-evaluation and self-examination on. And so Paul tells ladies, dress with modesty. And I don't want to camp out long on this issue, but I think it needs to be said. Because if we're going to talk about purity and we're going to talk about self-control and self-discipline and the spirit's guiding of our life in this area, we also need to help one another out by how we dress in this particular area. And it's John Stott, who was a pastor who had a way with words. And as he talks about modest dressing, he says this. He says, ladies... You ought to dress in a way that is attractive. But you ought to never dress in a way that is seductive. And he says, you know the difference. And men know the difference as well. We ought to set the example in how we dress. Whether we're in the church house or on the shoreline. We ought to set the pace. In how we dress and set an example in the area of purity to declare to the world that we are citizens of another society. So that when we're by the pool, we would dress in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And when we're sitting in church, we dress in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and honorable to other people. Because it doesn't take long for the old imagination to begin to stink and to begin to become foul and lead us down a road that is very sinful and destructive so Jesus defines for us what sexual sin is, it's looking with lustful intent and then he goes on and he begins to describe to us the seriousness of sexual purity for the Christian the seriousness of sexual purity for the Christian now I shared this in the first service, and I want to share it with you because I believe it speaks to what Jesus is talking about here. When you begin to look in the Old Testament and the New Testament at all the various sins that Jesus warns His people to stay away from, He says, this is unholy, and it ought to not be a part of your life. When you look at all the sins throughout the Scriptures— that the prophets most preached against, and I think they probably most preached against specific sins because those were the sins that the people were committing. The two sins that stand out more than any other sins are number one, idolatry, and number two, sexual immorality. Just go through your Bibles, go through the prophets. Idolatry and sexual immorality. And the reason for that is that they often went together because when you and I stopped worshiping the Creator... And we begin to worship the creature, we begin to worship people's bodies and what they look like. And we begin to fantasize. And it leads, as we worship the creature, it leads to sexual immorality. And the thing that God is constantly calling his people to is a purity that the world can see and then therefore pursue. And so Jesus says here, this is a very serious matter. This isn't isn't just you choose to do this if you want to, or you can continue to live like the world if you want to in the area of sexual purity. Jesus is very serious. And so he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, what should you do? Plug it out. Because it would be better for you to be maimed And still find your way into the kingdom than to go to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, what should you do? Cut it off. For it would be better for you to be maimed than to enter eternity serving the master of sin. Now, please understand, Jesus is not talking about here that we earn our way to heaven by being sexually pure. Jesus is using graphic hyperbole here to drive home an important point. And it is this, that God's people's sexual ethic is very different from the world. And when you and I commit this sin, there ought to be a quickening of the Holy Spirit within us that causes us to confess and repent of our sin and to walk a different path. And so in using this graphic hyperbole here, Jesus is stressing to us the seriousness of the matter at hand. Now, the question for us is, is Jesus actually talking about self-mutilation? Is he saying to us, I want you to start going around and plucking out eyes and cutting off hands and cutting off feet? No. Soon after the Bible was written back in the early ages, there was a man, Origen, of Alexandria. He took Jesus' words here Literally. And he went to see a doctor who castrated him because he didn't want to sin in this area. This isn't what Jesus is talking about. He's not telling us that you ought to give yourself to self-mutilation. Instead, what he's teaching is self-mortification, which is to bring our bodies up under the control of the Holy Spirit of God and up under the Word of God so instead of them controlling us, we are able to control our members and what we look at and what we touch and what we desire. And so he's stressing to us here, you ought to be crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. This is a daily putting to death of the desires of the old man that existed and lived very vibrantly in me before Jesus saved me. How serious are you today about what you watch and what you joke about and what you talk about and how you dress? Have we become as flippant as our world is in the matters of purity or immorality? Or are we pursuing the Lord? Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And what does he start the list with? Sexual immorality. Put it to death. Impurity. Put it to death passions put it to death evil desires put it to death and covetousness put it to death because this is idolatry on account of these the wrath of god is coming why should we put it to death because friends when you and i begin looking with lustful intent it becomes a snowball you know and looking at a sight or looking at a a member of the opposite sex in such a way doesn't seem like a big deal And it's that little snowball, and it begins to trickle down the hill. And the more we do it, the more we find that it is unstoppable in our lives on our own. And then it becomes something that destroys and crushes communities and families. And it's a snowball that's rolling so fast and is so big and has such mass behind it, such force behind it, that it leads to some of the ills that are present in our world today, such as sex trafficking. Anybody know what one of the leading interstates in America is for sex trafficking? Interstate 20 between Birmingham and Atlanta. Interstate 20 between Birmingham and Atlanta. Friends, there is perversion of all kinds in our world today. Where does it start? It starts in the heart of people who begin to look with lustful intent. And instead of honoring others as image bearers, look at others from a selfish, self-indulgent perspective. Job, in the Old Testament, Job writes these words in Job 31 verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? He's talking about the fact that he's made a covenant with the Lord concerning what he's going to look at. Concerning what he's going to allow himself to see. Men, can I just speak to you for a minute? It's just a healthy practice, and it is something that I've had to incorporate in my life. It is just a healthy practice that if at all possible... Whenever you meet somebody of the opposite sex, you look at them from the neck up. Amen? Look at them from the neck up. Look at them in the eyes. To behold the beauty as a God, uh, as an image bearer of God. Instead of allowing our minds to begin to wonder. Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Self-discipline is the se- in the sexual sphere It's to the point that we control our glances. It is a duty of the righteous. Even what we look at is a duty of the righteous. Some of you may be thinking out there, well, I would never visit one of those websites. I would never look at things that were that graphic. Friends, you don't have to turn on your TV very long. You can go to some of the major channels that everybody gets and you will see shows on there today that once were rated R and now are rated PG. And everybody watches them. And it may not all be all-out pornography as we think about it from some people's perspective. It may not be total nakedness that's out there. But there's a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of coarse joking. And the seeds are being planted for destruction. I cannot caution you and the Lord Jesus cannot caution us strong enough about the seriousness of sexual sin i have talked to people who may not be addicted to cocaine and they may not be addicted to meth and they may not have an alcohol problem but the problem of sexual addiction is stronger than any of those in their lives and it is ruining and wrecking them are you dabbling in that today jesus is there and he is seeking for you to repent and to confess it So that he can heal this broken area in your life. Psalm 119.37. The psalmist says, Lord, turn my eyes from worthless things. Turn my eyes from worthless things. And as I read that this week, this idea of worthlessness led me to a different passage in Scripture. Jeremiah 2 verse 5. Where the people of Israel... It says that they went after worthlessness. They pursued worthlessness and they became worthless. You know what happens to your mind and your imagination and your sexual desire when you begin to look at this worthless, these worthless images? It turns your brain to mush turns your heart to mush so that you can't rightly communicate with or appreciate a member of the opposite sex or in some cases a member of the same sex as God intended for us it turns us to where we pursue nothing but this worthlessness is Jesus talking about self-mutilation here I think he is talking about throwing the phone away if you need to And taking the computer and throwing it over the back deck if you have to. But more so than anything, I think he is speaking about here crucifying the old Adam every day. How many of you would admit that even as a believer, whether it's on this issue or some other area in your life, an area of temptation and sin, the old Adam tries to rise up in you every once in a while. Anybody admit that? Anybody there? Okay. Okay. I'll admit it to you there there are days and there are areas in my life that if I don't put them to death daily through the word of God and the spirit of God and just asking the Lord and committing myself to him today I want to be under your control it would become a real issue in my life a real issue in my life and we as churches want to talk about homosexual sin friends that is a problem and it is a sin against God I don't mind saying so And there is grace and deliverance for those who are struggling in that particular area of your life. But friends, more more so than any other sin, I am confident in saying that heterosexual sin and this lustful intent is prevalent in our churches and in what we watch. And it needs to be dealt with. And so the old Adam is rising up. And it is our responsibility every day to drown Adam, the old Adam, to take him every day and to drown him in the blood and in the word of God until he can't breathe that day. It is a vicious cycle. It is spiritual warfare that you and I are engaged in. And if we do not seriously take uh, what Jesus is saying here to heart, and crucify the old Adam, we will look up and we will see that we have quenched the Spirit of God in our lives. The question for us this morning is this Will we be spiritually disciplined or will we experience spiritual destruction? Spiritual discipline or spiritual destruction? That is the question for us this morning in the first service. Philip started us off, and he prayed. And his prayer was directly from the pages of Proverbs. You know, I read a lot of Proverbs. I've gotten to where I read about a chapter a day, depending on what day of the month it is. That's the chapter that I read out of Proverbs. I've taught through Proverbs here on a Wednesday night. We went through it. And Proverbs is a father speaking to his son, teaching him about wisdom, teaching him about life and how to honor God with his life. And, man, there's so much in Proverbs. It, it deals with money. It deals with work. It deals with laziness. It deals with whole sorts of things. But one of the primary issues, as you read Proverbs, you can almost feel the burden of the father. As he's trying to raise his son in a God-honoring way. And, folks, I feel this burden with my own two sons. The burden of this father in Proverbs, as he warns repeatedly... His son to stay away from the adulterer, to stay away from the wayward wife, to stay away from the prostitute. And over and over and over and over again in Proverbs, there is this warning stay away, her ways are destructive. And if he was speaking to his daughter, it would be stay away from him because his ways are destructive. It will lead you down a path of economic poverty and physical disease. It will lead you down a path of spiritual poverty and emotional emptiness and despair. And this father is pleading with his son, stay away. Are you going to be disciplined or are you going to experience destruction? Jesus says, pluck out your eye, cut your hand off. In our world today, it may mean cutting off some of the things that you watch and some of the things that you talk about. And it may mean that you are a little bit culturally maimed. Because you have amputated your life from some of the things that everybody in the world is talking about. And so when you get to the schoolhouse or you get to the workplace or you're hanging out with your friends, you may not know the latest news and what's going on. You may not know that joke that somebody's talking about, that that communication, that innuendo that they're talking about. You have no idea because you have amputated yourself from what's popular in the culture. Friends, it's far better that you and I be culturally amputated than to enter eternity Sinful and broken apart from our Lord. I want to give you just quickly what's the response? What can you do? And then we're going to close. I call these weapons of mass destruction. What are some weapons of mass destruction that God has given us to deal with this issue in our lives and in our hearts and in our culture? Number one self examination and open admission. Self examination and open admission. Maybe today, for the very first time, or maybe today for about the hundredth time, the Spirit of God has made clear to you that you are engaging in sexual sin, whether it be premarital sex, whether it be pornography, whether it be some discussion with somebody that's not your partner. As you are thinking about cheating on your spouse. And God is convicting you of this today. You need to acknowledge that you cannot hide your sexual sin any longer. Because it is destroying you from the inside out. Can I I just make just a quick statement. And I wish we had two sermons to deal with this. Premarital sex. It, It is so popular and if you abstain until the day that you are married, you are very much an outlier in our world today. Purity is something in this area that you are mocked at and laughed about if you wait until you're married. Can I? Can I premarital sex is destroying you in ways that you don't know. If you are a young person here today in high school, in college, you're not married yet, Listen to me, please. For somebody done a lot of counseling and some research and had a lot of conversations with folks, the area of lustful intent and acting on it before we are within the prescribed boundaries that God has given us in this area, it is destroying some marriages in advance. It's destroying the way we look at the spouse that God has given us. And frankly, it's leading to some unhealthiness In sex later after we get married. Culturally amputate yourself from the popular ways of the world and seek to be pure. Acknowledge your sin. You and I must acknowledge this because it's destroying us from the inside out. Number two, not only self examination and open admission, daily confession and repentance. Daily confession and repentance. Remember, I talked about the old Adam earlier? The old Adam is a really good swimmer. He's a really good swimmer. And so there has to be daily confession and repentance where I take Adam and I put him in the water hole of the word and the blood of Jesus. And I wait until he's drowned. Daily confession and repentance. And some of you may be saying, well, if I I have to confess and repent of my sin every single day, that means that I am a very weak Christian. No, friends, if we read your Bible, what you will see is that daily confession and repentance is a mark of spiritual maturity because it shows that you understand the gravity of sin and the holiness of God, and more and more is exposed in your life as you are walking and growing with Christ so that you have a desire to confess it and repent of it. Daily confession and repentance. How do do I get out of this sexual addiction that I'm in? How do I rise above the culture? Self examination, daily confession, and repentance. Number three, you need to receive Jesus' grace, mercies, forgiveness, and cleansing. I don't care where you are, I don't care how addicted you are. Those of you watching at home, I don't care how addicted you are in the area of sexual impurity and immorality. Jesus died for it. Isn't that good news? Jesus died for you, and his blood is so powerful that not only will he cover it, he can cleanse that stain in your life and draw that sexual sin, that stain out of your life and put you on a path of purity and wholeness and healing that will change and transform your life. What we are finding is that the people are so guilt-ridden because of their past in this area that they can't move on. Maybe they have confessed their sin. Maybe they've talked with others about their struggle. But they can't live with the guilt. They can't deal with the shame. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, Jesus paid it all. He wants you to confess that to him and to receive his forgiveness. And to receive his grace and his mercies and his cleansing. I think about the woman at the well in John 4. The woman at the well in John 4. Jesus walks up to her. And she had no idea the conversation she was about to enter into that day. And Jesus begins to tell her, not only are you married to the guy that you're married to now, he ain't even your husband. You've had five others. And we don't even know from the scriptures what was going through her mind and imagination. We know that this was an adulterous woman. And she left John 4 that day changed and whole and excited. And with a new path forward, Because she received Jesus' cleansing and His forgiveness and His mercies that day. Receive it and know that you can be forgiven for whatever you may be engaged in. And then number four, not only self-examination and open admission, not only daily confession and repentance, not only receiving Jesus' grace and mercy and forgiveness, but number four, if we're going to fight this as a church and as Christians, We've got to have some real accountability and some well-constructed boundaries in our lives. You remember David over in Samuel? David's the king, and there's a war going on, a battle going on. In the midst of this battle, we see that David is at home on the roof. And because David's feet are not where they should be, and because his eyes are not where they should be, David looks over and he sees this pornographic image of Bathsheba who is bathing on the roof next door. And David's imagination immediately turns foul and he commits sin with Bathsheba. And then that sin led to an even uh, more sin. It led to even more sin as he kills Bathsheba's husband. And the reason that David started this whole process to begin with. Is because he was at home while everybody else was fighting. He had no accountability. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. His feet and his eyes were in the wrong place. And if you and I are going to do this, we need some Christian brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean that you're going to come before the church and, and, and share it with the whole world. Hey, I'm engaged in sexual sin and I need your help. It does mean that you find two, three, four brothers and sisters in Christ who genuinely care about you, who can help you through this. It does mean that you find a pastor who loves you enough and who wants to see you whole and well in this area. And you go and open up and talk with them so that you can find healing through the hands and feet of Jesus from other believers in, in Christ. We need real accountability. We need some well-constructed boundaries. Paul David Tripp writes this. Self-healing, self-examination, it's a community project. It requires one another. You know that the church is a gift from Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ are a gift from Jesus to us. And sometimes all we want to show them is our best self. Give them the best image. I've got everything figured out in my life. No, you don't. And I don't either. And I need his word. And I need his healing every day. I need his blood. And I need brothers and sisters in Christ to hold me accountable. So that if somebody picked up my phone or if somebody were to look at my computer, they would have access to every site I've visited and the things that I've looked at. That's real accountability. And you say, Adam, I would never do that because I'd be embarrassed by what others saw. Do you want to practice discipline, spiritual discipline? Or do you want to experience spiritual destruction in your life? Jesus is clear on this issue. About how believers ought to behave in the area of our sexual ethic. Today, Jesus is opening his arms to all of us welcoming us in just like he did at the woman at the well telling us to admit it repent of it receive his forgiveness and healing and then put some boundaries in place that help us to kill the old Adam every morning when we get up let's pray together Father the habits of our sin are so deeply ingrained in our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. And though you have won the battle, we know that in this tension between now and when we receive our resurrected minds and bodies, we know that it is an often painful, slow death that our addictions die. God, help us to see that the old Adam can never amend his ways if the old Adam is a good swimmer, and in the area of sexual impurity, we need your divine help, and we need the tools of warfare, which are your word and your spirit, and a local church, brothers and sisters, with whom we can be honest about our struggles and our sin. And Father, I don't know how you're going to take this message and use it in somebody's life today. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes and what people are looking at and fantasizing about. God, you've called your people to purity. Not to earn your favor, but because of your favor. You've called us to live differently. May we be obedient and respond appropriately. And as we get ready to sing the song, Yes, I Will, May that be our response today, that we will glorify you with our bodies by saying, yes, I will. In a culture that tells us otherwise, may we stand and say, I will honor the Lord. I will praise him with my body and with my thoughts and with my eyes from this day forward. We want to thank you for listening to this message and the podcast today. Uh, We hope that you were encouraged and edified by the message. If you have questions, uh, we encourage you to visit us at gloryfellowship.org.